0: good morning everybody good morning. golly it's good to see you yeah uh, my name's uh, Lon Allison and I'm one of the teaching pastors here uh, I've been told whenever I speak I have to give a one minute update on my health so here you go uh, I'm in chemotherapy treatment right now and we're trusting that the chemotherapy may reduce or at least lock in the tumors that are fast growing in the healthy part of my liver. And we'll know uh, that within the next few weeks or a couple of months. But until then, we continue to move on. Uh, I'm just so grateful for the quality of life I'm able to live. And sometimes I see you all, and then you see me standing to preach, and you go, oh, is he going to be okay? Uh, I'm more than okay. God has just given me great strength through it all. And I must say, Marie and I are closer than ever. And the sense of God's provision and nearness for us, I, I think I'm perhaps more content than any time in my life. And, and I owe that completely to our Lord Jesus Christ who's given us life here and life eternal. So great to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, um, as we start out on the message this morning, I, I have a glass of orange juice. It's not much, it's about three ounces, I think, is what's in there. And the reason I have this here is when I was a little boy, and we lived in Gary, Indiana, not Louisiana, Paris, France, New York, or Rome, but Gary, Indiana. (laughs) I loved having orange juice in the morning, and my mom would pour us about this much, and I would say quite often, can I have some more, please? And she would always say, oh, no, honey, we can't afford you having more. I grew up in the home of two parents that were depression children and they knew what it was to have scarcity and my mom was extremely frugal. And it's, it's interesting that I would remember something 60 years ago like only a little bit of orange juice. But what that did to me, and incidentally, you have no idea the impact the first 18 or 20 years of your life has on who you are. Both good things and hard things, a lot of your soul is shaped during those years, and God uses the rest of uh, your life here to help get the bad stuff out from that and accentuate the good. And so I have constantly been tempted to be afraid that there would not be enough in my life of anything. Now, the biblical word for that that we're going to deal with today is called avarice, and avarice means this, there won't be enough. I've struggled with, it with that my whole life. I've struggled with it when I was running Christian organizations, offering on the frugal more than the abundance. And I, I read that God's abundance is, is there for us. And, and yet, I, uh, it's, it's, it's going to be a temptation until I die. No doubt about that. All started with orange juice. <laughs> yeah. the, the second uh, prop that I have for today is a little yellow sports car. And now I take you back to, I'm not six, now I'm about 22, and I'm a youth pastor, and I saved like crazy to get a used, generally broken down, Triumph TR6 sports car. But when it would run, I'd go out on Highway 680 there in Northern California, my long hair, Marie said I looked like Sonny Bono in those days. (laughs) And, and I'd have my long hair and my mustache flowing and my big mutton chops. And, and <laughs> those are my kids in the front row going, oh, my God, Dad. Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> and, 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 but here's what I really remember, that whether it was the first trip I took in it or the second or the third or the fourth, I came to this sense of I got exactly what I wanted and my life is no happier than it was before I got it. That's called greed. Greed is different than uh, avarice, Uh, whereas avarice is there won't be enough. Greed is I must have more to to make it through life. I must have more. I must have abundance of things. So the topic that we're dealing with today is is this one. And uh, Marie said to me, we were having a little coffee this morning before I came over, And she said, are you excited about preaching? And I said, no. (laughs) And then I stopped for a second. What is it I'm actually feeling as I prepare to get in our pulpit this morning? And that is that I'm I'm taking us to war. Uh, I'm going to lift up the element that Jesus lifts up ten times more than he talks about sex. He talks about dealing right with mammon. And there's nothing that has the power of a destructive tendency like money and wealth. He's the one that said it. He said, you cannot serve God and mammon. Now, look what he's doing there. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is pulled up into a religious experience. In fact, there's a term for it that's going on now. Siri, don't come on. All right, there. Strangest time she pops in. Uh, <laughs> I'm just using it for a stopwatch, but she wants to talk. <laughs> Mammon and uh, uh, Christian religion on an equal par. There's a power to, to dealing with money. There's a control that's there. It's almost religious in, in, in a sense. And so, today, we are going to deal with that straight out and let Jesus speak to us. Uh, It's it's not only a power, it's even a peace. In fact, I have found in dealing with money that money has power over me, sometimes gives me peace, and oftentimes, uh, I keep it all secret. I've been in men's small groups since I was 22 years old. I love men's small groups. You can get honest about life, talk about things. I've never once had a man that wanted to openly talk with me about his money, how he was doing with his money, and where it was going. That's secret. That's to hold in. No, it's not. There's nothing that can break us down more than falling to the God of mammon. And that, that has to do with whether we're people that have uh, much or a whole lot more than we need. And, it, and it's for people that are working paycheck to paycheck like several, many of you are. It has a power. It has uh, a, a it, 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 we keep it a secret. We don't let anybody really, really know. I I was looking at my investment portfolio a couple of years ago, because I'm in my mid-60s now, and I should be doing that. And I'm kind of, I'm I'm scared, I'm going down. And then at the end, what I saw there made me happy. In fact, I experienced a peace that passed all understanding. (laughs) And then I thought just like that, oh my goodness, it has that kind of power. No wonder Jesus talks about it so much. And so I'd like to read the scriptures with you, and I would ask that you would stand with me for a passage that comes out of Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Be patient with me. This is a relatively long passage, uh, but it can't be missed. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. You'll also see it on the screens there in front of you. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus replied, He said, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this story. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and I will store my surplus grain, and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? He ends the story with this. This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now, we're going to do a lot of talking about what it is to be rich toward God. Just give me a few minutes to get there. But look at the the contrast Jesus does. This is how it will be whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Well, then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they don't sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. How much more valuable are you than birds? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wild flowers grow. They don't labor, they don't spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon, K- King Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like a wildflower. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which really has a very short lifespan, right, which is here today and gone tomorrow and is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you of little faith? Don't set your heart on what you eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things. Your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, little flock. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. May God add his... Guidance to the Word of God. Be seated. This whole thing of the power, the peace, the secrecy of wealth and how it approximates a religion was brought to my mind this week in a, in a, in a brief uh, essay written by Brian Rosner. And I've just taken a couple of paragraphs out of it. Listen to this, everybody. In Western society, in general, the economy has achieved what can only be described as a status equal to that of the sacred. Like God, the economy, it's thought, is capable of supplying men's, people's needs without limit. Also like God, the economy is mysterious, unknowable, and intransient. It has both great power, and despite the best managerial efforts of its associated clergy, (laughs) great danger. It's an inexhaustible well of goods and is credited with prolonging life, giving health, healing us, enriching our lives. Money in which we put our faith and advertising, which we adore, are among its rituals. The economy also has sacred symbols which evoke undying loyalty, including company logos, product names, and credit cards. People today conduct their lives primarily in terms of, here's his term, economic religiosity. The economy is the ultimate source of value, and as a religion, it confers value on those who participate in it. Not to participate in the economy is to lack any social worth, as many of those without paid employment will readily testify. So as a religion, the economy supplies solutions to the basic puzzles of life, and it provides help in negotiating them. The meaning of a person's life is found in full participation in the economy, full commitment as both a producer and a consumer. The purpose of life involves the full development of the individual's economic potential and the pursuit of material progress for the good of all. Scores of books and courses are available at every level to assist the faithful to be found uh, to realize their potential. Whereas once the most vivid and intense experiences of life were to be found in traditional religion. Today, they involve money rituals, whether at work, on holidays, or shopping. The religion of money even has its creeds and dogmas, such as, money makes the world go round. Interesting. I was thinking recently of, of uh, older churches that have bell towers. And you know how the ringing of the bells was always calling people to worship. Well, then I realized that that's been replaced. Wall Street has its own bells now. At the end of every day or the start of every day, I don't know when they do it. Maybe they do it at the beginning and the end. Ding, 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 ding. Interesting, isn't it? I have never read anything so penetrating as what I read to you today in how it approximates economic religion with regular religion and the danger it is in our lives. That's why Jesus is on it all the time. As, as our text began, that's the whole background. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, verse 13, Tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me, he yells out in the midst of the crowd. And uh, have any of you had to deal with inheritance or trust or wills? Oh, wow. I have too. Scary deal. You'll find people in the family system you didn't know were in the family system. My neighbor across the street was in charge of his mother's uh, last will and testament. And she, she didn't have a lot of money at all. But her two sisters, all they did was fight over who was going to get the washing machine. <laughs> Just on and on and on and on. Lambasting one another for a washing machine. So Jesus, uh, Jesus puts this guy off. He says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, it's not that Jesus couldn't do that, but Jesus didn't come for that reason. Uh, Jesus came uh, not to bring men to God, but money to, uh, uh, he, 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 I'll try this again. (laughs) He came not to bring, I'm going to read it. (laughs) (laughs) I came to bring men to God, not money to men, Jesus Christ. Yeah, so that you, you see it in the text. Look at the severity of the words. Warning, watch out, be on your guard. That's why we put them in a slide for you to even put it up there. The severity of Jesus' language. Watch out, be on your guard. This one will rip the soul right out of you if it gets you more than any other. Economic religion, that's the term. It's a a new uh, couple of words that I'll have in my life from now on. Well, more stock reports than weather reports. Uh, Media promotes it. Uh, I didn't know how important it was to have a Lincoln Navigator. But but I know that it is because Serena Williams only finds peace when she's in her uh, Lincoln Navigator. (laughs) Oh, I've seen it. It, it, She's transformed. (laughs) Got the little bow system going on whatever she wants. It sits there, just beautiful and lovely, and and all worries of life disappear in the Navigator. Whereas Matthew McConaughey has found purpose in life through his. Makes him run faster as he's running back to it. He does strange things with cue balls. that jump off the table and knock into other ones. And then he goes down like he's a big hero and really cool. Makes him dive in the pool with his clothes on. He's so happy. He's found great purpose in his life through his, through his Lincoln Navigator. This is the stuff we see. This is the stuff we hear. This is the true fake news. Got it? new definition for fake news that wealth and money meet all of your needs like a religion fake news not right at all I tell you now you see in the text again between 16 and and 21 he does that parable and this is this is about somebody that's very rich the rest of 22 through 34 is for people that aren't rich, that live paycheck to paycheck. So he's dealing with both groups here. One can be a victim to economic religion, whether rich or poor, because the wealthy start to believe they're absolutely safe, and the needy believe there won't be enough. But most of all, what it does is it places the almighty I and me at the center of my existence. That's what it will do. Notice, notice his pronouns. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. This is what I'll do. I'll tear down barns and build bigger ones, and then I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. This guy's orange juice glass was always full. And he secured it. He was sure that he was safe, and he was secure. That's, incidentally, what uh, avarice does. Avarice uh, is, is an affliction whereby you never feel safe and secure. But this guy was. Until the story goes on and God says to him, you fool, you're dying tonight. What are you going to do with it then? It's not that Jesus is saying you can't uh, plan for your life. That's wise. But neglecting life after death is absolutely dangerous but he's so focused on himself. I found this little uh, poem this week on the I, 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 me, me, me thing. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small. Three guests is all. Just I, myself, and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. It I who also ate the pie then passed the cake to me. That's what we're dealing with here. And Jesus says to him, You don't get it. You're putting all the weight of your life, all your concerns, all your worries into this thing called mammon, and it encompasses about 0.1.000000001% of your total existence. 99.999999999999999. Is about beyond this life And Jesus is saying you get so wrapped up in the point zero 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 one And you don't give attention to the riches of God and eternal life That's why he's crying out warning 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 Now that's that story there Following that story in 22 through 34, like I said to you, he deals more with people who are really struggling to make ends meet one day at a time, week in, week out. Many in our church have that. Many people we work with struggle like that. We have people coming into the church all the time in a sense of need. And as I've said twice already in the message, you can be just as addicted to mammon when you're poor as you can when you're rich because it consumes your life. Jesus says, don't worry about what you eat. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. And Then he uses the illustration of the ravens in 24. Consider the ravens. They don't sow. Ravens don't reap. yet They have no storeroom. They don't have any barns. Yet God feeds them. How much valuable, more valuable are you than birds or ravens? Incidentally, I don't like ravens. I don't know if you do or not. The, the, they don't have a sweet sound when they're chirping. They're raah, you know, kind of thing, kind of like a crow. And 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 incidentally, ravens were uh, un, unhealthy. You weren't supposed to even touch a raven in the Old Testament law. But isn't it interesting that Jesus uses that which was detestable, and he still says he cares for the ravens. Well, then, how much more would he care for you as you seek him? Then he jumps down to the next uh, analogy there to help people that are struggling day in and day out. He says, look, think of wildflowers. Think of how they grow. Think of their beauty. And they only live a very few days usually. But it's God who adorns them. No king on earth is as beautiful as one wildflower. Well, and then it's, it's, it's this thing of contrast. If God so adorns wildflowers, Why are you worrying about what you wear? Why are you worrying about what you eat? Why are you worrying about what you live? Where you live? And and then he uses some other language in it where where he says, don't worry about these things. Don't worry about what you drink. He says, and this is stark on. This is this article I just read. The pagan world runs after all these things. Runs after them. Chases it. And and I know from my own experience. Your Father knows what you need. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. What things? Food, shelter, clothing, basic needs. In fact, my Bible says, standing on the promises of God, that he will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. That's the truth. That's not fake news. That's the truth. And then Jesus goes on to say, I'm giving you the kingdom. I'm giving you the kingdom. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I don't know if you've ever had this experience of going from scarcity and thinking that that God's not going to provide and then he does. I remember when Marie and I moved to uh, Chicago nearly 30 years ago now and we bought a house, and we had our two little daughters who were with us at that time. And we, we, we bought the house for a good price. We set aside some money from our sale in California so that we could do some uh, renovation uh, on it. And, and we started doing that, and then the money started drying up. And then I was in this brand new job that I'd come to. Um, And the the president of the denomination says, this next year there will be no raises, not even cost of living increases uh, for anyone. And I'm going, oh, no, we're in trouble now. This is only three ounces of orange juice. Well, it was exacerbated worse by me making a tactical error when we moved from California to Illinois. Tactical error was this. We had no idea what house taxes were here. We sold our home in California for a lot more than we bought the one here, and we paid twice as much in taxes. We literally didn't have it. And now my salary is frozen for a year, and my kids are going to be cold at night, and we won't have food on the table. (laughs) Well, out of the blue, unbeknownst to us, not asked for, Marie's grandfather sent a $10,000 gift to each of his grandchildren. Just came out of the blue. And, and Marie's mother had had a little savings she'd set aside and she decided to give that to each of her kids before uh, they, get, they get old or she gets too old. It, it came totally out of the blue. God will supply all your riches uh, according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. That's standing on the promises of God. You've got the kingdom. You've got the kingdom. You know how uh, I love the way N.T. Wright describes the kingdom. Here it is. You'll see it on the screen. God's sovereignty and rescue right to your front door. Think about that. God's sovereignty and his rescue of you and all your needs right to the front door. And that especially has to do with wealth and mammon. It's his promise. And you're a part of his kingdom now. I kind of think of it like Amazon Prime, to tell you the truth. Those trucks are forever going up and down our street and, and, and dropping things to people. And it's kind of like God saying, you're in my kingdom now. You're, you're, you're not only under my protection, you're under my provision. And I own it all. I'll get you what you need. Amen and amen and amen. Well, how do Well, how do we get rich toward God? Okay, because remember in that first, at the end of the parable, this is what happens to people who uh, try to build and get more stuff in their lives but are not rich toward God. Evidently, the solution in this passage has to do with those words. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Okay, so I've got a few things we'll put up on the screen for you there that I think can be helpful and practical. First of all, you want to fill your barn with God, not with self. Uh, The the amount of time that we spend dealing with financial issues combined with our intentionality about it and the focus we give to it. Jesus is suggesting that's out of order. You want to give your intentionality and the primary focus of your life to your relationship with God. That's where you start to experience His riches. And what's the first one? Well, it's communion with Him. Did you know that when you come to know Jesus Christ and he lives in you through his Holy Spirit, that you get to have ongoing connection with him at all times, that you can have a close relationship, that he's not otherly, he's here, he's with us. Rob and I were together this week sitting in my office talking about eternal things, and and he said, I've been pondering this whole thing about heaven and, and what our inheritance is in heaven. It talks about rewards and such like that. And then Rob said he was reading uh, an ancient Reformed theologian who said, our inheritance is that the closer we were with God on this earth, the closer we're going to be with him in heaven. And that's really all that matters. I don't know if you have a relationship in your life that you just cherish and you love to be with that person. For me, it's Marie and I having coffee this morning for just even a few minutes. I just cherished it. Or to be with one of my kids, I just cherish it. Well, the first thing about riches toward God is you get to cherish the fact that you can be with God at all times. That's why it says pray without ceasing. Talk to Him back and forth. Let people think you're weird. That's fine. <laughs> What's the second one? The second one has to do with that provision thing. That He says, is, don't worry. Uh, I own it all, and you are in my kingdom now, and I have said I will get you what you need. So chill out. In fact, I love the way Eugene Peterson has it. He says, uh, we can become carefree in the care or the core of God. We can become carefree in the core of God. And that takes me to the third great treasure, rich treasure of being in God. And that is contentment. Contentment. Know what contentment is? Contentment is, listen everybody, really simple. Desiring nothing more. Desiring nothing more God provides what we need desire nothing more How many of us have spent so much of our time thinking oh, I need this I need that car. I need that house. I I I I I, I need that food pantry I, 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 Whatever it is no 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 the promise of the riches of God is when you dwell on who he is and his promises to you That you can be carefree in the care of God contentment contentment is desiring Nothing more. And then beyond communion with God and provision and, and contentment, fellowship with the saints. Man, it's fun hanging out with you. I, I, I just love being with God's people, being in small groups, hanging out together, talking life, praying together. It's just a rich, rich, rich part of human existence. I hope you've experienced that or are experiencing it in our church. It's available to you. Yeah. It sure is. And it's a rich, I I consider it one of the most precious things I have is friendships with God's people. Then there's missional purpose. Remember these two little girls? What do you have to say to us little girls? You are sent! (laughs) And that's missional purpose. Not only do I get to be with God in this life, but he gives me purposes bigger than myself. Purposes bigger than my family. Purpose is bigger than my household. I get to be a part of his kingdom-driving mission, bringing heaven to earth. Meh! you don't think that gives you a sense of reason for existing? That's why I don't want to die yet. I think there's more to do. And then God says, yeah, but I don't need you for it. And I, <laughs> and I go, I get that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you'll do fine without me, but it sure would be nice to keep playing. Yeah, to be extending God's kingdom throughout the world. That's another part of the richness. And then increasing goodness. Uh, you start to find that the more you're in Jesus Christ, that the better you become. I'm still a mess. I'm a flat-out mess. But I'm not as messy as I used to be. Why? Because God is doing His work in us. So I, I, hope, I hope this gets you a little bit the way it gets me. Mammon versus the riches of God. Give your intentionality and more of your focus to those things and trust that these things will be taken care of. It doesn't mean that you're dumb about it. I mean, you plan for life, that's wise, but you don't harp on it. You don't get obsessed by it anymore, because it will rot the soul right out of you. And Jesus knew it. That's why he talks about it all the time. Well, are there any steps we can take to curb economic religion? I've got three things for you. Number one, become part of a radical community of generosity. Be absorbed in that freeing reality and sense your role in the kingdom. Be a part of that. Get around, if if it's a church family, if it's our church family, we, we, we hope that it is, but get around other people that are so generous they make you happy by their generosity. And it's catching. You'll find that there was someone named Paul who said it is more blessed to what? Give than what? Receive. And you start getting around a group of people that believe that? Wow. It's breathtaking what we can do for the kingdom as we pour out our treasures. So get in a radical community generosity. Secondly, you need an accountability partner. Remember what I talked about earlier in the message? That, that no man had ever asked me for counsel about how he was doing with his wealth. And Tim Keller says the same thing. No one had ever come to him and asked him about that issue. Why? Secret, secret. No, it's not a secret. It's not meant to be at all. This week, my friend Bill Oberlin and I went for a walk. We've got a one-mile loop around here. And we went for a walk together. And incidentally, I think Bill, as our global pastor, he's one of the richest and deepest men of God that I know. And so I asked him if we could talk about that issue and a big part of our walk was both of us kind of telling where we were at in our wealth, where we were at in our giving, where where we might have hard points that we were hitting and and we did it with one another. He can hold me accountable and I can ask him now too. I'm not going to keep this a secret. It'll kill me. I'll never think there's enough orange juice. So I need someone like that. Finally number three Empty your barns with giving. <laughs> it kind of goes back to the first one where I talk about being a community of generosity. But start on your own. If you give $100 a month, jump it to two. If you give $50 a week, try 100 uh, I always tell people when I'm worrying about money, it's a sure sign I'm supposed to give more away. And God is our provider. You have to do it by faith, folks. You're never going to, ne- this is never going to feel happy pulling out the checkbook until you write it and put it in the plate, and then you go, see, God's in charge of my finances, not me. It's a step of faith. I hope you'll go there. Well, we model ourselves after our Lord Jesus Christ, and some of you have probably all through the message thinking, Lon should really quote 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and so I will. From the New Living Translation, You are familiar with the generosity of our Master Jesus Christ. Rich as he was, he gave it all away for us. In one stroke, he became poor and we became rich. In one stroke, the cross of Calvary, the resurrection of the dead, he gave it all up so that we might gain it all In one stroke, he became poor, and we became rich. Last week, I was up at uh, Tri-Village, or the week before, and Robbie, our worship leader, had just written a, a wonderful new song. And listen to this line, everybody. I think it'll really cue in for you. The line was this. He stopped breathing that I might be able to breathe. Our Lord Jesus Christ, creator of all things, holds the universe in the palm of his hands, created all things, holds it all together. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the one who gave all that up, squeezed himself into tininess to come out and pour out all of his riches, die for our sins, that we might be able to enter into the riches of God in his kingdom. Wow. How could there be anything better? Our Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So are you crumbling under the worry-driven and stress-filled world of economic religion? Then, then just start doing these things. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you get neither. Intentionality, focus on the things of God. Surrender your life to his leadership. We'll have prayer people here for you this morning if you want to come down. You may be saying, this one's got me in its grip, and I need people praying for me that that I can beat back this temptation. Only God can do it in you. Come to Jesus Christ if you don't know him. Say, I need Christ. I don't know Christ like you're talking about him Lon. I need that kind of Christ. Some of you are believers, most of you. Maybe you just need to confess that you've got off track, and you've fallen to economic religion in some way, shape, or form. Confess that before the Lord. Lord, attend your blessing on these words, I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.